Welcome everyone. We're getting the TSB Talk series back up and running where we're talking about technology businesses and talking about trends and challenges that um, technology businesses are having. Um, and today I've got Maria with me and I'll introduce her a bit better. But for those that don't know me, I'm James, the director of Pax8 Academy for APAC. And I'm really looking forward to talking about the topic that we're going to have today. So before I dive in, I'll let you introduce yourself, Maria, and then I'm going to throw you a hand grenade to answer. I'm Maria. I'm one of the subject matter experts in the Pax8 Academy. I've got a long history background with uh, working in the MSP space um, all the way through from vendor through to MSP. So predominantly in the sales area. So it'll be interesting to see what James, uh, what James wants to quiz me on today. So today I thought we'd talk about growing, like growing your micro technology business. Uh, we've got a lot of Pax8 partners that are that one to five person business and they do want to grow though. And they've got a lot of value to add to the wider economy they're helping a lot of their clients there's a lot of great things that these micro partners are doing but every time i talk to them they're stuck they're, they've been at that sort of one to five people size for a few years now they've probably been doing their business they're out of the startup phase and they really want to go to the next level but they're not sure to start so i thought from to put you on the spot is where do you think they, what do you think they need to focus on and what's the most important thing that they're, why they're stuck? Yeah, I mean, you know, I talk to a lot of the smaller partners who say they don't know where to start. It's, you know, it's that um, that, that blank page. What, what do you do next? What do you do to move the business forward? Um, my, my advice is know what you're selling and, um, and know whether it's making you money because you can sell something and you can sell it really well and you can deliver it really well. But if it's actually making you no money, your business isn't going to be able to grow. So operationally, you need to understand what the product is, what your service is and how much profit it gives you. And how would you go about that? So if you didn't know, if you didn't know you've been doing this, you've been doing what you've been doing, what, yep. how would you look at that? So a lot of smaller partners don't have a PSA. Those who have a PSA often get those reports. You can get the reports that tell you what your gross margin is and you know how much time you're spending with a client. Um, a lot of businesses don't feel that they're ready for something like a PSA and they might be managing on a spreadsheet or using Xero or MYOB, um, which are fine but you need to know, you need to start tracking. You need to be tracking your time. You need to be tracking your cost of goods. Um, it's, you know, nobody likes finances. I like money. I don't like doing finances. <laughs> but that's the problem. I, that's my, my opinion would be that step one, know what you've got, know what your assets are in your ability. What's your ability to be able to deliver things? Do you have the time? Are you charging appropriately? It's interesting. I have slightly a different opinion around this. 
what you said is correct and then you definitely need to have this best practice of yeah, financials are super important. When we didn't start a charity, you need to be making money and being able to track that properly is super important. I, I think even a step before then is actually having a sales mindset is, is where most small business owners get stuck more than anything because I've seen plenty of businesses scale up past this size with none of what you said and they solve the problems later. Yes. Yes. It's a lot harder not, to solve those problems later. It <laughs> can be. <laughs> it can be. And it depends how how poor your gross margins are and that kind of thing. But let's, let's be honest. There's some market rates already set for a lot of what we're doing. So my first advice is, don't charge cheap. Look at what the premium providers are providing and do what they're doing and provide those services. If you can't do it, don't don't fake it till you make it sometimes, but there's that balance. So we already know if you're charging $50 a seat for all you can eat money service, you're not going to make much money. We know the average is $100 a seat and we know the premium is typically 120 to 140 and we're just talking end user support and infrastructure management, no cybersecurity, no subscriptions. It's pure no projects. support management. No projects. No projects. And that means nothing typically above two hours worth of work. You're not giving away desktop installs, all that kind of stuff. So there's a starting point. So there's a, to me, there's already sort of like a model. So if you can't use that simply to, to get focused, it's the actually wanting to go and do sales to me is what gets in the way of most partners. And that's why you become small, you get stuck into, you get stuck as a small thing because you're not selling to enough people and you don't have enough pipeline to keep adding more people. And you can solve a lot of these operational problems with money. And I know that a lot of partners that I speak to, they get into this because they love the tech. They love, the, you know, they love all the cool, new, shiny things and, and they like helping people more than anything. You know, I I don't think I've met a partner who's not wanted to make a difference in some way. So that's, that's, a, that's a great mindset to have to run a business as long as you understand that you can help people and still charge them for it. Um, and not give away your services for free because that's obviously going to be eating into your gross margin. Um, but the same thing comes from selling. You know, I speak to these MSPs and they go, oh, I'm not a salesperson, I'm a tech. And I say, yeah, but you want to help people. And if you approach your sales mindset with how can I help the client, not what technical resources am I going to deliver to them, not, you know, which widget do I need to sell them, how can I solve their problems? Because that's what we are. We're problem solvers in this industry. And we need to, you, that's that's the sales mindset that they need to approach it with. So how does that practically look? Well, problem solving comes from having answers. So ask, ask them, ask your clients, what do you need? What does your business need? Not, do you need a new laptop? Do you need more licensing? 
It's what does your business do? What do you want it to do? Where do you want your business to grow to? Um, and then find a solution to solve those problems. Most clients don't want to know what you're using to solve their problems. They don't care. They, don't, they want to be able to send an email. They want to be able to surf a website. They want to be able to use whatever their line of business software is to run their business. They want to know that it's going to be there when they want it to be there. And if it's not, they're going to get the help that they need. That's all they want. They want you to be able to assure them that that's the case. So you're problem solving. You're solving their problems. Um, and that's all selling is, really. It's asking the question of what they need. And then problem solving it. That's too simple. That can't, <laughs> can't be true. And and the vendors are going to hate you for saying all the end users don't care what products they're using, but it's reality. It's, it's absolutely it's, a reality. They don't know and they don't care. No, I can, we can both attest to that many times. Yeah. And I'm non-technical. I don't care a lot of the time. It's you're, you're looking for solutions. I think that's, that's a very good point. And I want to go back to a comment that you made before of how a lot of people get into this industry and start running their own business. They do it because they um, want to help people. And they often do it because either they've worked for someone and they've sold the business or they've gotten frustrated and they think, oh, I can go do this myself better. And we have this... Um, crazy thought that yeah well, i've got these skills i can just turn it into a business and it'll make magically make make me money i'm guilty of this i did this way back when it's not a <laughs> it's not a judgment anyone that's run a small business all our brains aren't right if if we had any logic about it we'd never start a business it's it's okay but what i'd probably add to what your point there apart from not knowing some of the business acumen stuff and the financials we're often not going into the business with a purpose. Like outside of, I want to help people, I've got some technical skills. Why else am I running the business? Is it to make money? Is it so I can um, I can build it up and sell it and have a big payday and I can retire early? Is it so I can fund my kid's lifestyle? Is it, there's no right or wrong answer with this at all. But I often find, especially for the guys that have been doing this for a long time, the longer you do it without having that purpose, the more you get entrenched of doing the same things you've always done and you're typically not making a whole lot of money and you're trapped. So the, so what do you what do you see and feel? What's, what, what are the ways that people could look at that, whether you're starting new or you, you may be five, eight years into this business life cycle? Yeah, look, that that um, touchy-feely type, what's my purpose, what's my life purpose, what's my business purpose, they do overlap as a business owner. And they're scary. They're scary to stop and think, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do when I grow up? You know, as teenagers we do it, as high school kids or, or you know, even in our, young, in our early 20s. You know, when I grow up, I want to be, I want to be this, or I want to do this with my life. We don't stop and think. You know, at any at, at any point, we should be able to say, what do we want to do? Um, 
I remember when I was in my 20s, the most frightening interview question was always, where do you see yourself in five years' time? And I always thought, <laughs> who's planning on living for another five? Like, what? <laughs> Who plans five <laughs> years ahead? <laughs> but, you know, with age, I've realised actually knowing where, where I want to be in five years, personally, helps guide what I do with my work life because it you know, it all contributes to where I'm going to get myself to personally. So I think as business owners, knowing where you want to be, where you want to get to, you don't have to be there now. You don't have to be there in five years' time or even 10 years' time. You want to know that at some point this is where you want to be and make sure that you're on the right track. And it's no different to any other journey. Um, you need to know that you're always going in roughly the right direction. That direction can change. You can get two years down the track and go, actually, I didn't like that. I've completely changed my mind. That was a really silly idea. Now I want to go over here. That's okay. But you need to, if you're not taking that stop on reflection and you're still on that same journey, you're going to find yourself in a place that you don't want to be. And that's where we see a lot of business owners burn out because they go, what am I doing here? You know, it's that wake up one morning and just go, I hate my life. I hate everything. And nobody wants to be at that point, ever. Um, and for a business owner, that's particularly difficult. For your staff, if you've got staff who are waking up saying, what am I doing? Why am I here? That's when they leave. We don't want them to be at that point either. But as a business owner, you can't just go, okay, goodbye, I'm walking out. You've got a business. You've got potentially staff. Maybe you're you know, maybe it's wrapped up with your mortgage. Maybe, you know, it's not a, tr it's not an easy thing to just get up and walk out on your business. So having that regular check-in to make sure you're still on the path you want to be on and change it. If you, you know, it's a lot easier to change than it is to completely flip something. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think that's really great advice. I think, what I see typically then is what happens is people start trying to copy the one true business model. So what I'm seeing all the time is people jumping on wonderful communities like Tech Tribe or jumping on the Facebook forums. They're trying to solve their business problems by copying everyone else. And I may be a bit biased because of what I do as a day job. I wouldn't copy most people that are posting on those forums because they're just in the position most often the same position as you are but they're giving no context they don't understand what they're talking about they're just parroting on generic advice that keeps getting passed around the industry and it's super dangerous i i hate it like i won't go on a rant on this but some of the advice i see that it's like been either watered down from a concept that maybe someone in senior in the industry is pushed out, it's the right stuff and it's just got watered down, watered down, watered down until it's meaningless. Or it's completely the wrong advice from people that haven't actually run and done successful businesses passing on to, passing on to each other. Um, so what's more important than like the one true MSP model is knowing where you're going and what you're trying to do, what your skill sets are and bring some uniqueness to it. Um, if you're a one to three person technology business at the moment, you're actually quite agile. You can change things a lot faster than say the 200 person MSP down the road. You're playing a different game. It's a different market. 
you've got the opportunity now to find a lot, um, a new niche, a uh, different technology, et cetera, et cetera, that's, that's powerful for your strengths. And you've got a large market out there. Uh, the traditional thoughts of, uh, I just service the people that I know in the area that I work in, are long gone. We all work remotely. It's all cloud technology, da, 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 da. You've actually got, if you're in Australia, you've got all of Australia. If you're in New Zealand, you've got all New Zealand and Southeast Asia, huge markets, let alone you expand into those markets just from your locality. You've got a lot of opportunity there to create a niche and it, it's a time in the market that is ripe for something different. So when you're looking at this, it comes down to that purpose and planning. And it's like that building up that knowledge as well. And I want to ask you a question off the back of this, Maria. When people are looking at growing their businesses, I often hear the, the generic advice is you need to do everything recurring. You need to have one single plan You've seen a you've seen a couple of successful um, technology businesses in your time. What's the right way? There isn't one. Um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. Um, this comes back to especially especially when you're a smaller business that agility, but it comes back to what do you want? What do you want as a as a business owner, as a person, as a human being? What do you want from your life? And because your business is so tied up, your business is you, you are your business. Um, there's no separating the two until the time when you make the clear decision that you're selling or closing the business, you're stepping away from the business. And then there's a whole process behind that. So that's something completely different. But if we're talking about you running the business, you are the business. Um, and so that comes down to that purpose. If you know what you want from life, if you want a business where you um, drop your kids at school, you work from 10 till two, and then you pick your kids up from school and you hang out with them and you take them to basketball, great. That's fabulous. Wonderful. You might structure your business very differently to somebody who goes, do you know what? I want to build an empire. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work 15 hours a day and I'm going to build an empire. So there's no one right answer to do we do recurring revenue do i choose to sell hardware maybe 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 the decision is that all you want to do is sell hardware deliver hardware install hardware and that's that's great that's that's not good and it's not bad it's if it's good for you then it's good so it comes down to what do you enjoy what do you want to do and if you're business is structured around um, your purpose you're going to sell the you're going to sell the concept of your business to clients so much better than something you don't believe in so if you if you take the hardware example if you love hardware you love installing hardware and teaching people how to use their new hardware and all of that side of things and you go, I'm going to be a managed service provider because somebody told me that's the way to go, then you're going to be miserable. You're not going to back what you're selling and people buy from people. You know, we've all heard this phrase. It's absolutely true. You don't like buying from somebody. We've all worked with a vendor that we didn't love and you go, huh. 
you know, even if their product's good, you know, do I want to take their call? Um, because we connect with people, we connect with other humans and, um, it's the same with your clients. Your clients want to buy from a technology provider who's passionate about the, the technology that they're helping them with. You're going to be able to ask better questions of your clients to provide them the right solution if you're passionate about it. So there's no one right answer. Hey, I'll just play that um, hardware one off as an example. It's yeah. a good example. So when you know what you're passionate about and what your niche is, what you're saying there about the clients, it allows you to understand what what client market are you actually targeting. And this hardware one's a great example. If I was to do that, I'm not enthusiastic about hardware, so you'll never see me jumping into that that market. So you, more more to everyone that's doing that. But if you if that is your market. I wouldn't be do it targeting direct clients. I'd be looking for all these MSPs that are struggling to get resources and are starting to offshore more and only need to contract for on-site work for this kind of thing occasionally and get myself a portfolio of these MSPs. All of a sudden, I've got a lot less headaches and I can do what I love and I can set my business up and do it how I need and charge, charge the market rate. All of a sudden, I've got steady income i've got partnerships i've got a sales team that's sales teams that are going at selling this stuff all the time and i'm just taking my orders that can suit people really well i've seen as another example i see some of those ms uh, some of those msp owners that are like they are really passionate about um, talking about technology they probably legitimately are more towards the cto cs cio CISO type personality rather than building an MSP that we've had to do back in the day of well, managing infrastructure and stuff. There's lots of options out there now to be like a technology broker, go get a bunch of clients, get a recurring model going. If they're paying you X 300 bucks a month, they're going to pay you $300 an hour, $600 a month. You're going to spend two hours a month with them each. And then resell everyone else's stuff. Get commission off um, reselling VoIP and blah 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 blah. Don't implement it. Get there's other people like we just said. There's hardware people that like their niche. So what we're seeing is that decentralisation as things change. You don't have to be an MSP, and if you're not a proper MSP now, you're probably not going to get the opportunity to do it either. Is probably something that I'd highlight because the market shifted a lot. So. How would you go about this, Maria? Like if you're trying to, if you, you've worked out your purpose, let's let's play on the your example with maybe you don't want to work that often and maybe you don't want to have that many employees. Employees are difficult. People are hard. Yes. I don't know why I've signed up to be people <laughs> management and do that kind of stuff. So there's perfect legitimacy in running a small micro business of one, two, three people are making good money out of it. How, how would you go about that, Maria? Like, what would you, what would you do? To, well, to, to run it. Well, you know, what's your purpose? What's your business plan? How are you, what do you, what do you want out of it? And then, you know, where, where are your strengths and weaknesses? What are your skill set? What, what are your employees passionate about? 
you know, because maybe you've got um, a, a different skill set within your employee base. Maybe you do have two, maybe there's yourself as a business owner and then two other employees and between the three of you, it it's a, it's a particular skill set or maybe it's quite diverse. And, and, and figure out, you know, is, do you want to work with other, other technology service providers? Do you want to work and partner up? Do you want to work with, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday who said they do a lot of work with one particular vendor and that's it. That's, that's pretty much it. they that's their niche. The vendor actually gives them leads. They just, they don't market, they don't do anything. They do one product, they do it very, very well and they deep dive in that one product and, you know, they're like, oh, you know, and every couple of weeks we get sent an email saying, here's a lead, go do the thing, we've pretty much sold it for you. And they just go and they implement. So they don't even, they don't even sell it, they don't sell licensing, they don't do any of those things, they go and they implement and they consult. So what I take from this is, and I know, I know this is a bit of a leading, leading statement. You've got to make sure you price correctly. But going back to what you were talking about originally when we started this conversation, go make sure you're actually profitable. And if you're, let's say you're a one person business, the problem that I always see time and time again is we're treating it as a salary pricing from the very outset. Like I, I still see people jumping into this industry and charging like $60 an hour. I was a gardener in 2012 charging $100 an hour. Like, there's a, there's a bit of a mismatch there. So you do need to, based on what services you're providing, there's obviously a market forces that will um, fit things. But anytime you're a small business, we fall into the trap of thinking, oh, if we go cheap, we can get scale of economy. We'll grow into this. It's not true. Um, as a statistic, only 5% of businesses get above five employees. So that typically means it's only like, it's, it's only like 5% of businesses that get above a million dollars revenue. That's not even that big and scaled. It's, it's, above 200 employees it's something like 0.002 percent get above 200 so if we play reality unless you've got a clear plan you've got really good financial backing all of that which most of us that start business, small businesses don't have any of that we're just bootstrapping ourselves working hard using our technique our skills and and going out there and just grinding away think premium from the start because you pro you're unlikely to ever scale. And if you have that mindset around, as I'm growing my business, I'm charging the right amount, I'm getting my gross margin, you'll find by having that sort of profitability, not just to pay yourself, but to hire good staff, to have good systems, you'll attract more clients because you're doing it better. And quality in small business overrides cheapness, unless you really want to go to the cheap market, but I never would. Yeah, and that that gets messier. Um, I think the when you're pricing from day one, you need to price pretending that you're paying a full t your, uh, an employee um, at market rates, and pay that employee as yourself. You are employee number one, 
but a proper salary, not not oh what whatever's left over after the project has finished. That's that you know who who would happily take a job. You know, I, I as I said, years of sales. I've been offered sales roles in the past where they said, oh, we'll pay you like ninety percent commission and you've got unlimited earning power. And I go, mm. but essentially, I'm working for like four dollars an hour. No thanks. <laughs> but as business owners, we don't say no to that. Why? Maybe because, you know, the passion's there in the beginning and the vision and the excitement and the, oh, but it'll get better. It's going to get better. So it's okay that I'm only earning $4 an hour now because, but do we even stop and realize that it is only $4 an hour? I mean, that's that's where that financial, you know, I'm a big fan of knowing knowing those details to make those decisions. Um, from a financial perspective, you don't need to go off and do a degree in accounting. Um, to be perfectly honest, you don't even need to pay your accountant thousands of dollars. Things like, as a starting point, there is, there is a load of content out there to help you with how to read the very basics of financials and work out if you're making a profit. Um, if you're using Zero, for example, there's an entire free training course that's built into the Zero platform on how to read your financials and how to set a budget and how to price your products. It's, it's, it's a brilliant course. I've done it. It's not overly long. It's a couple of hours long and it is designed for people who don't know or want to do financials. Um, every most of the you know MYOB, Quick, and all of those guys offer the the similar training to that. So um, if, even if you just start with that perspective, that gives you that starting point, gives you that idea of what you need to learn, and then you can go and reach out. You know, obviously we're we're a little biased because we help clients with this all the time. So you know, just a little. <laughs> they're like, well, we could help. Um, you know, that, and we got into this because we want to help people as well. So, um, but there is, there are those resources out there. You don't need to rush out and pay somebody thousands of dollars to help you with this. You can start with the free stuff because then you know what you're looking for as well. And you're making a decision with clear purpose as to what you need. And, you know, if you know what your financials are doing, you're making a load of money anyway. So it doesn't matter if you then pay for the next step. It's a very important point because if you're charging like $60 an hour, all that happens is as you get busier, you can't afford to put anyone on at all. Like I, I say that just from that amount, even $100, you can't do that in this industry. If you, our average tech is costing $80 to $90,000 $90, a year plus super. That's even for some level ones that are getting up for that size. It's bloody expensive. So there's different ways to look at this. Having done small business myself, always pay yourself first. Don't get caught up in the growth of, I need to throw people at this, I need to throw people at this, and it'll come because it never comes. All, all you do is set up yourself for a massive failure or get trapped. So run some simple numbers. If, if you are expecting, if you're walking away from a $150,000 job, as an example, how much does that work out per hour that you need to get? And then how many hours can you um, actually spend working on it? 
keeping this really simple do and charge model, how many hours per year do you have to actually deliver those services? You'll be sick, you'll be tired. And how many hours do you want? So this comes back to purpose. You know, you've I, I could work 18-hour days. Do I want to work 18-hour days? Not really. So, you know, that comes back to that purpose because you will be miserable if you say, I'm going to throw myself in and earn money 18 hours a day when really what you want to do is play with your kid or go for a walk with your yeah. dog or and you'll burn out. Exactly. Exactly. And some like some people will like that method and they'll go, well, I need this amount of money. I'll work this hours. I can plan to hire the next staff, etc." That works for them. It doesn't work for others. And so what work out what the hourly rate is based on how much you need to charge per hour just you delivering the work for the amount of hours that you can and want to work, there's the hourly rate that you need to charge. Is that realistic compared to the market? More than likely it probably is because all the premium providers are already charging a good amount of money because they're doing it this way. But that lets you then go and start planning. And I know we could talk about this all day and we'll do more sessions, but the thing I'd wrap up from my perspective is planning that next employee. So what everyone does all the time is go, oh, well, I need to hire a tech. I need to get off the tools because I need to work on the business. Now, well, that's true. It's not actually in a small business. And often what it does is slow down your productivity in the first place. What you're better off doing is looking at things that are taking up your time in terms of the business process stuff. Is it, it might make more sense to get like a, a virtual operations coordinator from the Philippines. They might only cost you two and a half grand, great talent. And they can take off the entering the phones, doing the scheduling for you, doing, doing some of that admin work. All of a sudden you can do some more billable again. Um, and they're already paying for themselves. Maybe it's a, a um, Maybe it's an offshore tech instead to go, well, I can have someone full time. I've got them on a good salary that we can work together. They can take some of that load off. I can do something else. Might be to get a, a technology business specialist bookkeeper that takes on a lot of that administration work and they're teaching you the best practices as they're doing it. There's a lot of those options instead of that traditional, well, I just need to clone myself. I just need to clone myself because it never works. It creates more headache. You get stuck in what you're doing. It's, you never get an ROI on it for years. And there's just different ways to think about it. And again, it comes down to what type of business you're doing and what, where your focus is and all that kind of stuff. But there's options there. And lastly to that, we say that you should, you shouldn't hire employees when your existing employees are at 100% capacity because who trains them? And you need to consider the same for yourself. If you want to hire employee number two after yourself, you can't be at 100 or 110 or 150% capacity and then hire somebody because you're setting them up for failure and you're setting your business up for failure. So you need to plan that hiring earlier when you're at 70 or 80% capacity and you can train them and invest time in them. That's a, that's a fantastic point to wrap up, Maria. And, uh, We'll do more sessions about this um, and we'll talk about different different partners, but uh, there's a lot of new people looking at starting up technology businesses. There's a lot 
that have been doing this for a few years and still micro business. There's a lot that are been doing this for for years and are trapped. Again, there's nothing wrong, like nothing wrong with being small, and there's nothing wrong about being deliberate and saying this is what I'm doing. But we're coming across a lot of guys that've been doing this for 20 years that are in the one to three employee range, and they're trapped. They've got nothing to sell. They've been doing this as a job, and logically, if they would have stayed in actually doing it as a career and working for someone else, they would have made way more money and had less stress and done less work hours than what they've ended up doing when they've fallen into this type of business. So we're trying try and take this sort of this sort of advice and think about things a little different, just so so you can learn from the mistakes of the past and, and others, so you can have better, more successful outcomes. And with what you've been saying the whole time, Maria, successful outcomes are different to each individual. Don't let someone else dictate to you what success is. Success is what matters to you. So I look forward to catching up next time and we'll do another session again later, Maria. That sounds great. Thank you.